Well, we are continuing our series called Holy Stories. We've been going through a bunch of parables and Bible stories, historical events that have occurred in the Bible. So uh, we covered Nehemiah rebuilding the walls, we covered the parable of the sower, a story Jesus told about a farmer who cast seed and different things, different types of ground and what happened with that. Talked about the lost parables, unmerciful servant, the paralyzed man, uh, Pastor Larry preached on. Last week, Jesus' baptism. Jesus was baptized. We talked about that because we had baptism service on Wednesday night. 23 people got baptized. Very exciting stuff. It was a wonderful time. A uh, tremendous blessing for me to be able to be a part of that. Uh, it's just phenomenal to watch the Lord move in people's lives and the things that happen. It's just incredible. Today, we're going to look at the parables of Matthew chapter 25. The parables of Matthew chapter 25, and these basically are about how believers handle the absence of God. How believers handle the absence of God. I'll talk about that a little bit more, about the absence of God. How do believers respond to, how do they handle, what do they do in the absence of God? But before we talk about that a little bit more, I'm going to say when Jesus preached, he said lots of things. He didn't just say two or three verses and then just spend a lot of time discussing those two or three verses. He would talk for long periods of time. So long that they would sometimes have to have miracles happen to feed people because they hadn't eaten in so long that they would faint if they were to leave without something to eat. That's how long church was. So you guys have it good. All right? Just... I'm very cognizant of, you know, football season's coming, kickoff at noon. There's nothing wrong with time discipline. That's perfectly fine. But when Jesus taught, he, he said a lot. But when we study the teachings of Jesus, we often study little pieces at a time. And there's nothing wrong with that. We do that here. But it can cause sometimes people to miss the forest for the trees. You know what I mean? You get all hung up on a particular detail, but miss the general point of what's going on. And so today, we're going to endeavor to cover about half of a sermon that Jesus preached. So, that's a lot of stuff. We're going to summarize Matthew chapter 24. We're going to read Matthew chapter 25. We're going to look at these three parables. We're going to understand why he said them and what the whole context was. So that's what we're going to do. So I'm going to talk as fast as I can. We're going to make it happen. You ready? Because we don't have enough time to make it so that everybody's going to faint. That's okay. We're, we're going we're gonna to go quicker than that. All right. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is talking about the end times, the end of the age, when he would return. Now, he hadn't left yet, so it was interesting that he's talking about coming back because he was there. But he's explaining to the disciples all these different things that are going to happen in the future. Prophetic events, you know, end times events. Did you know Jesus is coming back? Yeah, it's an amazing thing. The promise isn't just that we get to go be with the Lord. It's that he's coming here. You know, like to this earth. Like, he could be on the news. You know, like, Jesus is going to come here. And so he was talking about that. The disciples asked him a particular question as he was talking about these end times events. And here's what the question was in Matthew 24, verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, 
When will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Say, now, how is this all going to work? When it's going to happen? And so this is, the next two chapters are a, basically a conversation between Jesus and the disciples. This wasn't the big, uh, big meeting in front of everybody. This was the Bible study in the small group, is, is what's recorded from chapter 24 and 25, but made accessible to everyone. So let's look at a few of these different things that Jesus talked about. One thing was verse 21. He said all kinds of difficulties are going to happen. He says, For then there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. He's talking about the great tribulation. Jesus was uh, continuing on. He talked about His coming and the, the rapture, verses 30 and 31. This is the second coming. He says, At that time the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. Why, if Jesus is coming back, that's a good thing, right? Why would all the nations of the earth mourn? Because they're not ready. They're not prepared. Chapter 25 talks about how to be prepared, how to be ready. You know, you can be secure and confident that you are ready. No one should have to be insecure and worried about the return of the Lord. We should all be able to be in a place where we're excited about it. We're ready. We know how we're going to be received by the living God. But the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. A whole different return than the first time, baby born in a manger. This is going to be a whole different deal. Verse 31, And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Hallelujah. He talks about how we don't know when this is going to happen. It's going to be a really, really long time. Verse 36, he says, We don't know when it's going to happen. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. I believe Jesus knows now. But when he said that, he, he was unaware. Now he's got more inside information because of the ascension, you know, allowed him to be able to have more access. Jesus became fully man. It's an amazing idea. Jesus, he was there at creation. God, the Son, made himself a person So he could show us, he knows what it's like to be here. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to be falsely accused. He knows what it's like to be be beaten and made fun of and mocked. He knows. He was here. And so he was fully man at that time, but now he's ascended. He's back with the Father. So I'm pretty sure he's got more inside information on when he's going to come riding in on the clouds. But the point of this is, don't think you're going to know if Jesus doesn't know. We're not in a better position than that. So it's going to be a long time. And then the conclusion of Jesus' message is in chapter 24, verses 45 through 51, this is the, the part of the message that he reiterates through the holy stories, the parables in chapter 25. So this is the meat of it, starting in verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? Because remember, he's talking to the disciples. So he's saying, hey, you got a job to do. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so 
when he returns. So Jesus is explaining there's certain things you need to do while you're waiting. You will spend some time waiting. In fact, you'll spend lots of time waiting. What are you going to do while you wait? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Verse 47. I tell you the truth, he will put in... He will put him in charge of all his possessions. So this is an incredible blessing, an incredible promise. But there's another side to it. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. I can get away with stuff because he's not here. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. What does this mean? Would Would somebody waiting for the return of Jesus beat his fellow servants? Why would you do that? What does that mean? Well, that means if you're a Christian and you're abusive towards other Christians, right? To beat his fellow servants. So that's like slamming other churches. It's like really getting after various other ministries, that sort of stuff. Beat his fellow servants. And to eat and drink with drunkards means to slip into immoral living. That just might happen. That's not a good way to wait for the return of Jesus. That's not a good way. What happens then? Verse 50. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So which is better? He will give you all of his possessions or weeping and gnashing of teeth. Which is better? Yeah, it's not complicated. It's not complicated at all. It's very, very simple. Why does Jesus say this to his disciples? Because it can be a little bit of a downer, you know, like they're having a good, fun time together, and then all of a sudden he's talking about weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, it kind of can take the air out of the balloon. The party's not as much fun, you know. Uh, Why would he do that? Because he wants to make sure that they're on the right side of this deal. Because this is a big thing. And I want to make sure that I'm on the right side of this deal and that each one of us is on the right side of this deal because we can be sure that we are on the right side of this situation. And so Jesus continues to explain what he's talking about in the parables of chapter 25. But earlier I said these parables are about how believers respond to the absence of God. So, you know, Jesus was here, he left, he's gone, now he's, he's going to come back. So how do we respond in the absence of God? But is God really absent? No, I mean, God's not absent, God is everywhere, right? We can feel the presence of God from time to time, right? This is the time of the Holy Spirit, this is the time where We can have the indwelling of the Spirit and be aware of the presence of God. But I tell you, it takes some perceptive, spiritual perceptive capacity to be aware of God in this age. Right? Have you had times where you're not aware of God? That doesn't mean God is gone. That there is no presence of God just means that you're not perceiving God. And so in this time... You have to have an awareness, a spiritual connection in order to be aware of the presence of God. When Jesus returns, you will need no spiritual perception to be aware that Jesus has come back. It will be a global event that will change the world. 
It won't be something where you need to be in tune with God to notice it. It will be a worldwide event that everyone will notice. So that's what I mean by waiting in the absence of God. We can be aware of God, but we have to be in tune. But the day will come when Jesus comes back. And so now we wait. How should we wait? What should we do while we're waiting? Very important stuff. Matthew 25, verse 1. The parable of the ten virgins. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. Which is better, foolish or wise? Wise is better. So we should choose that, right? Let's choose wise. What does it mean to be wise? Verse 3. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. So that was back in the day. They had like, remember the Aladdin-type lamps? You know, you rub the lamp and the genie comes out. There wasn't genies in them, though. But there was oil, and there's the flame comes out over here. And so they could run out of fuel, and then there's no flame. But the foolish ones just brought the lamp with however much oil was in it. The other ones brought another tank of gasoline. They, they, they brought the extra fuel. So that was the difference between foolish and wise. Let's see how it turns out. Verse 5. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. How many of them became drowsy and fell asleep? My wife was greatly comforted by this. All of them, the foolish and the wise, became drowsy and fell asleep. What does that mean? That means the coming of the bridegroom took so long that even the wise were like, Wow, when is this going to happen? It took a really, really long time. They all fell asleep. Verse 6. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. Verse 8. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. No. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. So what was Jesus trying to say with this parable? It's a very simple message. It's this. Be ready for the long haul. Be ready for this to take more time and to become less exciting and be ready to last. Let me ask you this question. For how many generations has the return of Jesus actually occurred since he said that? Zero. Everybody has had to live their whole life to old age and not see it happen. That's a long time. That's, that's hear the story from generations ago. Live your life Believing it could happen and not seeing it happen, lived a hundred, nothing. That's how it's always been since he said this. Be ready for the long haul because a short spurt of believing and then fading off isn't going to cut it. Understand, this will take a long time. Be ready for the long haul. I hear people talking about being on fire for Christ. 
Is that a good? There's a new song out about being a soul on fire. You know, woo, is that good? That's good unless you burn out, right? I mean, that's, it's good to be excited. But here's the deal. We need to be prepared for the long haul. This isn't a sprint. It's a marathon. We are waiting. And every generation before us after Christ has waited their whole lives. And they met the Lord when it was their time to depart. They didn't see Jesus return. Now, I believe Jesus could return. Amen? It's closer now than it's ever been. But we need to be ready for the long haul. Next one. Verse 14. The parable of the talents. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent. Now a talent was maybe $1,500 in today's money. I don't know, something like that. Pretty good chunk. Um, so he gives one person, let's just say, you know, $10,000. He gives another $5,000. He gives another $1,000. Okay, put this to work. Get something done with it. Each one according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, after how long? Long time. The master of those servants returned and settled his account settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. Now, The first guy earned five talents. This guy earns two. I wonder what the response will be for the guy who only earned two versus the guy who got the five. Should we see what the difference is? Let's look. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Word for word the same. The one gained five, the other gained two. They were in different situations. They had different resources. Same response. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's happiness. Same response. Some things may not be equal in how we live our lives. But if we're diligent, we serve the Lord with what He's given us, we can have the same reward, the same response, the same welcome. Verse 24, then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. Now, let me tell you something. If you think God is good, you're going to be more willing to serve God. If you think God is kind of a jerk who takes advantage of people, you're going to sort of pull back. Let me tell you, God is good. Now, This guy had a negative attitude towards his master. He's like, oh, yeah, you expect me to do stuff, produce things, and you're just going to take it? 
You know, he had a bad attitude towards it, so he didn't even want to do that. It's like, why should I work hard, and you're just going to take what I did? The other ones were excited, like, hey, I got five more. Here you go. And they received an incredible return on giving God the increase. So this guy is not so excited about that. He's like, you're a hard man. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. How many believers are afraid to put what they've got to use? Oh, man. It can be scary. You know, investing is a scary thing. You know, imagine if you were depending on the stock market right now. If it's Tuesday, you're depressed. If it's Thursday, you're making money. You know, I mean, it's, it's just all over the place. It can be scary. Serving the Lord is the same thing. Sometimes things work, sometimes they don't. He was afraid. And so he hid the talent and he gives it back to him. See, here's what belongs to you. Did he steal it? He didn't even steal it. He just kept it safe and secure and returned it to his master. Hmm. Next verse. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So, so again, the, it's America 2015. We like to state things in the positive sense. You know, what's the good news of these verses? The good news is that if we diligently serve the Lord, we'll have our reward and God will love us. Woo! What's the bad news? <laughs> yeah. If we don't, you wicked, lazy servant, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Now, this is interesting. He doesn't say, hey, you should have doubled it. He says, man, just get some interest at least. Do something. Give it a try. If you look in 1 Corinthians, it talks about people who who serve God. They do various things, but it's just all completely terrible. And it's... It burns up, you know, like, here's the thing I've done for the Lord. It's tested and gone, turns to nothing. That person is saved as someone escaping through the flames. They produced no return, but they tried. Good enough. You must at least try. At least put the money on deposit. Verse 28. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right, again we get weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's very unpleasant, isn't it? Did you come to church to be blessed and encouraged? Amen. Well, be blessed and encouraged. But you know what? There's other stuff in the Bible too. And so we need to be aware. We need to understand. In all three of these parables, Jesus is talking about a separation of people. He's talking about, you know, some people who are here, there's the wise, and there's the foolish. There's the productive, there's the unproductive. What is the message of this parable of the talents? The message of the ten virgins was very simple. Be ready for the long haul, prepare to last. This message is also very simple. Get something done. Help the kingdom of God. Be productive. Do something.
be productive. The good news is, if we're productive in our service to the Lord, if while we wait, we're doing things with what God has given us for His kingdom, then we're richly richly blessed. We can anticipate the return of Christ with excitement. What a blessing that is. To not be afraid, but be excited. Ephesians 2.10 is a great verse along that same theme. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Did you believe, or do you understand, that you were made for a purpose? You're not just here accidentally with, you know, just trying to figure out what to do and try to not be bored. God made you with a purpose and a plan. He prepared things in advance for you to do. You can do those things. It's fun in the meantime. Plus, you get a reward in eternity. Hallelujah. That's a great time. We want to be people of purpose. But with purpose comes responsibility. And that's where the warning comes in. Because we can get self-focused and we can forget about serving the kingdom of God. We can end up with what's called an inverted relationship with God. Have you heard of an inverted relationship with God? That's basically this. I've got my life that I'm living. I've got my goals and my plans. I'm trying to achieve my goals and my plans. Who might help me? Well, God's very powerful. He'll probably help me with my goals and my plans. Hey, Lord, help me with my goals and my plans. So who's the servant and who's the master in that relationship? That's me having God serve me. So it puts me above God. That's an inverted relationship with God. Where we want to be is being the servant. Lord, what are you up to? What are you doing? How can I help you with your thing? If God is your co-pilot, switch seats. Right? He is the one that is the master. We are the ones that are the servant. So we serve Him. If we have Him serve us, we're not serving Him. We're not being productive for His kingdom. We're trying to get Him to be on board with us. Now let me tell you, He will give you the desires of your heart. When we serve Him, we give our lives to Him. He gives it back with increase. It's phenomenal. He's not trying to hold back from us. We've got to make sure to avoid that inverted relationship with God. And understand this, Jesus knows the gifts and the talents that you have as well as what you're capable of doing with them. He knows. And so, go ahead and serve the Lord with what you've got. So here's another way that we wait. The first way we wait, understanding this is a long-haul deal. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. We've got to keep at it. Plan for decades. Plan for living your whole life serving God and waiting. Second way we wait is being productive while we wait. Seeing things happen for the kingdom of God, being part of God's plan for this world for today. Wait for Jesus and serve Him skillfully and diligently. Then you get to make a difference. So that's the second parable. The third parable in Matthew chapter 25, again, this is all part of the same message. Jesus talks about the sheep and the goats. Verse 31. Again, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. Amen. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. 
He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Does that sound good? Yeah, come on. We want to be that. Verse 35. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. So what is he saying here? He's saying, if you show kindness and help those who are not able to return the favor, he will take that personally. He will take it as though you're helping him. You know, strategic partnerships are a good thing, right? I can bring this to the table. You can bring that to the table. Together, we're stronger. We all benefit. Strategic partnerships are fine. However, if I look at someone and I'm like, well, what are you going to do for me? Well, then I'm not doing anything for you. See you later. How's that going to work? Well, let's keep reading. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Again, isn't it amazing how, uh, how polar opposite these responses are? Like, wow. This isn't like everybody's getting either a C plus or a C minus. This is, you're in, man, woo, or, right? It's amazing. I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So what's the message here? Again, the first one, the parable of the ten virgins is be ready to last. Be ready for the long haul. You're going to get tired. You're going to get sick of it. There will be blessings along the way, sure, but man, you've got to be ready for the long haul. The second one was be productive. Make a difference. That makes sense. How about this one? What is he saying? You know, be, nice to, be nice to weak people? Is that what's he saying? Basic, basic message of this is that God doesn't play favorites and He will reward us for not playing favorites either. Understand, we are ambassadors for Christ. Can we play favorites? No, we misrepresent God when we play favorites. God is about being fair. He will expect us to be fair as well. This one, I think, is potentially more dangerous for church leaders than the first two. Yeah, okay, we got to last. We've heard that before. Great. Yeah, we got to produce. Yep, heard that before. Great. You got to be fair. Hmm. Have you noticed 
like insider things happen in churches. If you're in the in crowd, you get certain opportunities. If you're not, you don't. What is that? That's favoritism, right? You know? Well, this is dangerous. Let's look at, uh, let's look at James chapter 2. As I quickly finish up. James chapter 2. And we're going to read probably two verses that you may know if you study the Bible fairly regularly. You show up in church from time to time. You probably know verse 10. Uh, but verse 9 is an interesting one. It says... If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. So this is one of the greatest commandments, right? The first one, love God with all you got. Second one, love your neighbor. So the next verse is, what's the opposite of that? Verse 9. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. So he's saying, okay, you might love your neighbor, great. But if you show favoritism, which of course is not loving your neighbor, then you're convicted. Ouch, verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Whoever keeps the whole law but stumbles at one point. Have you heard that verse before? That verse is in reference to favoritism. That verse is in reference to a poor person coming into the church and him not being treated as well as someone who might be able to pay for the building fund. That's what this is talking about in James chapter 2. And it's what Jesus is referring to in Matthew chapter 25. Is that we are to be fair. We are to love each other based on uh, anything but favoritism. Based on who they are and how we should appropriately respond to that. Not based on favoritism. Not based on being on the inside. I spent enough time on the outside of church circles to know it's hard to break in. Hard to break into the inside. Keep at it. You can get there. But we'll not show favoritism on the way from our side. So, three parables are all about how do we respond to the absence of God. Jesus has departed. He floated up into the clouds. He's going to come back whole different attitude. He's going to rule and reign. He's going to come as a conqueror. He's going to sweep things clean. When he comes back, we will have waited in various ways. The parables wait in the long haul. Wait in such a way as to get work done while you're waiting and then be fair. Care for those who do not benefit you, who aren't going to provide a strategic partnership, but who need some help. Be fair. I'm going to invite the prayer team up. We're going to close. Jesus will return. Amen? Jesus will return. Today, we wait. Which day is more interesting? The day when Jesus returns or the day when we wait? When Jesus returns, that's much more interesting. They don't make a whole lot of movies about us waiting. You know what? They make movies about Jesus returning. We talk about He's coming on the clouds. We sing songs about that. Don't sing a whole lot of songs about here we wait. It's going to be a really, really long time. Every other generation has waited till they died. 
I hope it isn't the way it is for us. You know what I mean? That, that wouldn't make a real great song. It's way more interesting to think about Jesus returning, coming in on the clouds, that moment when everything is changed, the church era is over, and we're in this whole new realm. That's more interesting. Which one's more important for you and for me? The waiting time is more important. This is when we have choices. When Jesus returns, hey, the day is done. It's all just going to happen like a flood. Today, we can choose how we wait. We've got the time. We've got the opportunity. We can prepare for the long haul. We can be productive as we wait for the return of Jesus. And we can be fair. So let's look at our hearts and let's see. Are we prepared for the long haul? If you're not, boy, sink in deeper and realize, okay, this isn't a sprint. I'm going to get tired. How am I going to respond when I'm tired? Think about that. Pray through that. Endeavor to be ready for the long haul. Hey, you're in church. I think being in church is at least putting the money on deposit, right? You know, money's on deposit. Hallelujah. How can I be productive and walk into the calling God gave me? What is that? How can I do something to advance the kingdom? And then how can I be fair? Where have I judged people wrongly, pushed people aside because they wouldn't benefit me? Be fair. Today is more important to you than the day when Jesus returns. Because today will will determine what that day is like for you. So let's pray a group prayer. We'll close with that. Then I'll invite people to come up to the prayer team. If you're someone who, man, I'd like to follow Jesus. I'm not sure what that's about. Come on down. They'll pray with you. They'll help you through that. If you've got any other type of need, you've got a relationship problem, you've got a financial need, physical need, whatever the case may be, you just need encouragement, come on down, receive prayer. God does mighty things when his people pray. So let's pray together before we open up the front for personal prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have so clearly laid out how we are to wait. Let us be wise and not foolish. Let us choose to be ready for the long haul. Show us where we are weak because we get bored or we get tired or or we're just not ready for that long-term thing. Show us in our hearts so that we can fight that. Lord, help us to be productive. If we know there's something we should be doing and we're not, Lord, I pray that we would step into it. Live out your calling. And Lord, if we're unfair, if we judge people wrong, if we exclude people because we want to be part of the in-group or whatever the case may be, Help us to see that and realize you take that personally so that we can be fair and we can wait in the right ways being your light in this world. So Lord, I pray a blessing over each one in this place. I pray your peace in our hearts, your strength to be with us. Help us to walk in your ways. Encourage us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. You can come on down for personal prayer. Whatever your prayer need is, come on down, receive prayer. Otherwise, you're dismissed. Say hi to somebody you don't know and encourage them in the Lord this morning.